Hello and welcome back to another episode of Politics on Draft with me, James Tabor. And me, Kartik Sawney. Join us as we go through the political news of the world and try to make sense of everything that's going on. Each week we'll talk about current affairs, political topics and offer some insight, research and opinions along the way. We'll also be bringing on some special guests with interesting stories and their experience of politics. So whether you're a massive politics nerd or someone who simply wants to know more, you're very welcome to join us every Friday from 8am just in time for your morning commute. So get comfortable, get a drink, and remember, the best politics is always on draft. Hello, Kartik. How are you? I'm good. How are you, James? Yeah, I'm not too bad. We actually haven't spoke too much this week, have we? Because I think it's just no, been we've been busy. For, we've been busy for, for, for lots of different reasons. So it's good to have this time here to catch up. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, first of all, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm sticking to water. Um, I'm quite pissed off about one of our topics coming up, so I want to make sure that I'm sober for that. No beer, mm. no whiskey. Maybe after that I'll have a drink because I'm so pissed off about it and I need to go to bed. Um, but I'm an alcoholic <laughs> and I need alcohol to put me to sleep. Um, but sometimes when these issues come up, you might. Um, and I hope you know people listening to this at 8am on a Friday morning won't need alcohol to get through the day because that's wrong anyway if, what are you drinking you'll james be, you'll be getting an email from hr uh, i'm off brand actually i'm going to be uh i'm going to be drinking tea um so yeah a bit boring although i will say i have been drinking today and i went to Sir ian mckellen's pub so no, yeah, oh no. yeah i saw i saw that tiktok video where people were sort of showing famous pubs I, I didn't know ed sheeran owned a pub and if i ever become really really rich i'm gonna own a pub because i think that's quite cool legend has it that galway girl just plays like infinitely and that's why it's only e, open for no hours. <laughs> right but, um, james you have an update for us on a topic that we discussed last week go ahead yeah, well, we got lots to talk about today, so we're just going to kind of reel off everything and save a bit of time for what Kartik wants to talk about at the end, which is extremely important. I'm sure you probably know what it is already, but I'll leave it to then. Uh, just a quick update on the lockdown files um, for those who are kind of off of the kind of ether of politics at the moment. Isabel Oakeshott, former journalist. Go back to our last podcast, you'll find out what she's done. She's posted a lot of uh, private messages between Matt Hancock and other government officials during COVID. Uh, The update is, I mean, to be honest, it's not, I'm not particularly too blown away by the, the kind of the latest round of stuff. I think the big one that's come through is that, um, Steve Brine contacted um, the NHS um, chief of staff uh, to try and, well, lobbied the NHS chief of staff uh, to try and uh, get uh, NHS to hire um, anaesthetists through Remedium, which is a private recruitment company he worked for. Um, So it's another one of those kind of lobbying things um steve bryan got michael gove to also um sort of like advocate on his behalf um we've already seen this before with uh private companies getting in covid contracts and stuff so it's not it's not 
It's not necessarily the big kind of shock that I think, because, and that that's bad if we're not shocked. That is bad. Uh, that is really bad. Corrupt lobbying, uh, <laughs> corrupt mm. lobbying stories. But uh, that's just another thing. But apart from that, the lockdown files in the no, most recent. I'll, I'll, I'll quickly add bit, to that. There, are, yeah, there are two things. So, I was looking into Lord Bethel who at the time was working very, very closely with the Department of Health and Social Care. And it turns out in 2021, uh, and now he's been getting a lot of flack for it as well, he has been deleting texts um, that he could have handed over to the COVID inquiry, to sh- basically because there's a, there's a health firm that he was lobbying on behalf of to get them, I think, about 400 400 million pounds worth of contracts, which is a ridiculous amount of money. I uh, but really don't like the, the role of lobbying. I'm sorry to cut you off there. I really don't like the role that lobbying has in, in, in politics. I think mm. it's so open for manipulation. And, and I know that there is some good lobbying that takes place, but, uh, well, you'd never hear about that, would you? You only hear about the bad lobbying, don't you? So. Yeah, I mean, there probably is some good... I th- no, there definitely is some yeah, good yeah, lobbying taking 100%. place. But when there's... So when when you're when you were an ex-director of a company and then you suddenly, you know, want to lobby on behalf of them for a £450 million contract and then, oh, you know, suddenly they managed to get it with no competition and it, it gets... Very, very corrupt, very, very quickly. But there's also something else I want to add, which I think mm. is a new element. It's a new insight into how Westminster and Parliament works. So I'm going to refer to text on the 22nd of November 2020. Alan Nixon, uh, who is a DHSC parliamentary special advisor, texted Matt Hancock basically about how, you know, you can coerce MPs or push MPs to vote for things in Parliament. So I'll I'll read out verbatim. So Alan Nixon texts, I think we need to dangle our top asks over some of these 2019 intake MPs who are are going off the boil this coming week. Thoughts on me suggesting to chief special advisors that they give us a list of the 2019 intakes thinking of rebelling. For example, James Daly, who wants a learning disability hub in Bury. Whips call him up and say health team want to work with him to deliver this, but that'll be off the table if you rebelled. This guy's re-election hinges on us in a lot of instances, and we know what they want. We should we should seriously consider using it, in my opinion. Matt Hancock texts back, yes, 100%. So they're dangling learning disability hubs to get a vote in Parliament, basically. Mm, and I think no. that is absolutely disgusting. It, it's, it's not good, but also the fact that they're talking, <laughs> that the fact that the government is talking about their own MPs who, I mean, you know, I've spoken to to MPs from the 2019 cohort and, you know, they're just setting up on their political career. They're trying their best to, you know, like support the government, do their thing. So it's like to, to show that that's what the senior Tory party, I mean, in my opinion, this goes back way before what, uh, what we're currently seeing, but actually goes back to... Uh, to Boris Johnson getting rid of any ounce of decency within the senior Tory <laughs> rankings. Um, yep. And this is what we're left with. We're left with the cronyism and all the things I said last week. The other thing that was in the lockdown files was, and to be honest, this is what kind of like I was a little bit about is um, sort of 
going into the realms of conspiracy. So like Matt Hancock, COVID memoirs censored over Wuhan lab leak comments. Mm. Um, basically, Isabel Oakeshott is kind of suggesting that the government, you know, is scared to kind of like upset China a bit and you know it's I, I think there's a big insinuation that you know like we're kind of sort of on our knees for China a bit and I, I, I don't like that kind of because I don't what's the point like what what is the what is the point in that those sort of things I want to know about actual cases of you know corruption I don't want to massively know about like these conspiracy based things mm. is that just i mean I, I, it's it's evident and i and i think most people knew this but it adds to the rhetoric that you know politicians are horrible people <laughs> to the point that during a covid pandemic they are there to push their own career and not necessarily care for people that are dying and nurses were leaking texts which were not leaking i mean it's completely up to them if they want to post their own texts on twitter mm. but they were showing texts of what it was like during the pandemic for them. And they were texting their partner saying, it's horrible. So many people on just one floor have just died. And I don't know how to deal with it. And, and, and then, people and are waiting 14 got, hours in A&E. And, and it's just horrific. And then you've got Matt Hancock talking to some spads saying, yeah, this is going to be fucking great for my career. So, yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's very, very annoying. Continuing on the theme of uh, corruption, of course, we've got... Uh, Boris Johnson, um, remember him? <laughs> so uh, he's, yeah, his uh, his knighthood um, sort of honours list come out, and he's recommended his father, Stanley Johnson. How nice uh, for for a knighthood. Uh, I thought I was exploiting my uh, sort of parliamentary past by saying to my dad, "Dad, come over. I'll give you a free tour of Parliament." But that is, <laughs> I mean, next level shit um yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it's just completely like why on earth would you ever think that that was a good idea your dad's already been an mp he he has terrific connections in the conservative party he has terrific connections in government you've been prime minister how much more do you really want mm. Mm. i think it's disgusting and on top of that i've I've, le I've left a little note down in the brief james that today it's it's come out that Boris Johnson's pay after he left office as prime minister accounts for 85% of all outside earnings declared. I mean, that's a, I think the, some of the money, uh, uh, just give me a second, James. And in fact, we can edit this out, but the sum of the money is on top of your 84,000 pounds as an MP's salary. He nearly earned 5 million pounds since leaving office over that apparently, because that article was over a month ago. So he's charging, I think, £1 million per speech. And if anyone who has ever heard Boris Johnson speak knows that he's not entirely coherent. So well, I thought I thought bringing up Peppa Pig World as the sort of pinnacle of the economy <laughs> was, uh, was a very good uh, quip. No, it, no, it's it's bad. And to be honest, I for me, it's like, Boris Johnson's very parasitic. I just, I, he almost feels like this itch that I can't get rid of. And I kind of really wish that he would just go away. Um, I really hope he doesn't get re-elected, but, you know. Uh, well, who, currently in Oxbridge and South Ryslip, the Labour candidate is winning significantly. 
Oh, really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, but they knowing are, Johnson, sure knowing, knowing Johnson, he'll just try for a, for a more safer seat or something. I, I, it's, he, it's w- I mean, the yeah. thing is, he's been selected by Uxbridge and South Reisland, but he might well shift to a different seat. You never know. And I think that'll be dodgy, but it's nothing beyond what Boris Johnson has previously been capable of swallowing his well, and if he's able to do that then i'm sure that labor will just sort of bring it up and say you know this is the tory party well the thing is in, in the last couple of days all the party gate stuff that's been coming out again has mm. not been as a result of the labor party it's been entirely as a result of tory mps bringing up party gate again and again and the privileges committee brought it up this week as well um, hmm. And it was basically showing new angles of the picture and quite literally outlining that Boris Johnson would have known that he was breaking the law or breaking his yeah. own guidance, quote unquote. Um, yeah. and, whilst but, he was you know, but, you know, uh, and the other thing about that is, of course, you know, he's got lawyers uh, for him, which is being paid by the taxpayer. So that's always good as well. Um, yeah. So that's just another thing that is pretty, pretty wrong with the situation at the moment. Uh, Graham Brady has uh, the former leader of the 1922 committee, that uh, committee that... Is he uh, the former? Runs, I didn't know he was the former. Uh, yeah, because I think he was standing down as the 19, uh, leader of the 1922. Okay. Um, I don't know if there's a new one, if that election has taken place. I'm sure you're going to fact check me on that now. But um, he, uh, yep, he is not standing in the next um, in the next election. Um, I don't know... Oh, no, the chairman it? is still to say Sir Graham Brady. Oh, it is okay. Um, Sorry, keep on going. Uh, I is did he give a reason? Has he done like a big statement, or was it just kind of mm, not really? I imagine the last couple of years in British politics has been quite tough on him, but his seat—I mean, it is now going to be a marginal seat. Yeah, uh, and um, I think he will probably lose. I mean, in the last general election, uh, he won by six thousand one hundred thirty-nine votes. Uh, it's now going to be much, much closer. And it was it was actually contested by Andrew Weston, who, by the way, is now a brilliant uh, new MP in the House of Commons, mm. um, who I really like. I think he's great. Uh, but he will probably uh, lose his seat if he decided to contest it, and Conservatives will probably lose that seat anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's Sir Graham Brady of, resigning, if, if I think there's a lot of them thinking, like, get out whilst I can in order to, you know... Because I think there, there is not that probably. I'm um, not that I would know, but there is nothing worse than standing up on that as an incumbent on that mm. platform and being told that you've been beat. I mean, biggest case in hand, Joe Swinson of uh, the Lib Dems. That yeah, that was, was embarrassing. That was a tough watch, to be totally honest. Um, but anything so, that Joe Swinson uh, ever says is a tough watch. Yeah, um, very true. Moving on swiftly, Sue Gray. As we know, she was appointed uh, as Chief of Staff to Sir Keir Starmer, mm. the leader of the Labour Party and the leader of the opposition. Um, Tory MPs straight away decided to jump on the phone to Daily Mail, jump on the phone to the Daily Telegraph, jump on the phone to The Sun and say, oh, the whole party get inquiry was a sham. She was presented to me as an impartial civil servant and now she's the chief of staff to the leader of the Labour Party. How dare they? How dare they? It was all the Labour Party who brought, uh, who brought down Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson resigned, actually, over a sexual assault case that he chose to ignore basically over the Chris Pincher scandal uh that was what actually brought him down obviously Partygate 
definitely helped uh, uh, MPs in bringing him down. But that was actually but what brought him down. Now, I want to go back a little bit to what happened in the reshuffle. So when the reshuffle happened, basically, okay, let me even go back a bit further. So in the civil service, the highest sort of um, honour that you can, or the highest job that you can have is cabinet secretary, which is at the moment Simon Case. You work very, very closely with number 10, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just below that is permanent secretary. That's basically the cabinet secretary, but for each department. Um, and Sue Gray has not been a permanent secretary yet, but Simon Case effectively blocked her from being the permanent secretary to Kemi Badnock. And mm. that's what led, which meant that she would never be cabinet secretary. And that's what led to Sue Gray job hunting. And even though Sakir Starmer has been quite, has, has been avoiding the question of when he decided to start reaching out to Sue Gray. Um, I think we can start to estimate when he started doing that because of what was happening in Whitehall yeah. at the time. Yeah. I mean, to, to, there's, Although I know, obviously, there has been some Daily Mail talk. I don't think it will actually ever reach as as big as that. Mainly for the reasons I stated last week that you know, I don't think the Conservative Party can really start sort of breaching the realms of conspiracy. Otherwise, they're just going to be sort of they'll be presented as this almost like populist party delegitimizing institutional processes such as public inquiries that Sue Gray did, which uh, mm. I, I think is just problematic. Um, the, the big thing I saw about Sue Gray, which I just thought was interesting, because every morning when I walk uh, towards the tube station, uh, there's one of those um, like LBC screens, and I get my little bit of news every morning when I walk past it. And on there, I think it might have been the Friday or something like that, I think it was uh, Sue Gray joins the Labour Party which I thought was quite an interesting. No, that's, topic. yeah, that's an interesting yeah. take. I, I highly has, doubt has that she she's joined a Labour member. Party? I don't, I don't know. It might be. Not that but, I know. You know she's, she's, I, I don't think, yeah, you, you know more than me, but I just thought it was an interesting take. Let's move on. Well, actually, no, I think this would be a very good time, potentially, Carter, because we didn't do well last week. Did we not? Break. Oh, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah let's take a break. Let's take a quick break. Go get a drink. We'll see you, we'll see you after the break. We're back uh, from the break. I uh, hope you dusted yourself off, got yourself back. And uh, Kartik's going to talk to us about... Uh, I am. Quite a, quite a sensitive topic. Um, I'll just let you take the floor with this one, because I know that you've prepared a lot for this. Cool. So I don't know if you were in Parliament on Tuesday, but I was. And on Tuesday, the House of Commons became packed sort of very, very quickly. And it was quite unusual for a Tuesday for Parliament to be completely packed. It was almost PMQ's level packed. I think it was PMQ's level packed. So Whips texted almost every MP to clamber into the chamber for a statement to be delivered by the Home Secretary, Suella Bradman. And with a substantial amount of pageantry, the government introduced its illegal migration bill. Its purpose, to prevent and deter unlawful migration, especially by unsafe and illegal routes. Now, I personally don't disagree with that statement at first sight. It's absolutely right for the government to act and prevent illegal migration. There should be safe and legal routes that work and allow legal migration. But the fact of the matter is, the safe and legal routes don't work. So before you 
you know, start to ban illegal migration and try to crack down on criminal gangs, you need to have those safe and legal routes in place. Now, that is a matter of fact, and I think most non-bigoted people would completely agree with that. But the problem, James, is in their rhetoric and whether this is actually legal. The problem the government faces with this legislation is that an act of parliament cannot by itself prevent unlawful migration. Deterrence may or may not be possible, but the decision-making of refugees remains a mystery. And whether the legislation will really deter people from coming to the UK is unclear. Now, Rishi Sunak is basically staking an entire bill on the decision-making of tens of thousands of individuals of whom he knows basically nothing. And there are two main ways in which the bill seeks to deter people from coming to the UK unlawfully. Now, I'll spell out these two ways before I get into more into my personal perspective. So one is by threatening their removal, either to their own country or some other safe country like Rwanda. Um, And as with preventing arrivals, passing a law at Westminster removes no one. There are practical barriers, one of which is that the receiving country must agree to receive the person in question. So the other intended means of deterrence is by denying access to the asylum system system or lawful migration status, immigration status to anyone who enters outside normal immigration laws. No asylum seeker entering unlawfully will ever in future be given permission to stay or permission to work and their families if they have anyone or if they have anyone left, because most of these people are fleeing war zones, fleeing religious persecution. They, there has to be some sort of reason that you decide to get onto a, a small boat or in the back of a lorry. There has to be a massive push factor there, which the government doesn't seem to acknowledge. But anyway, it does not matter if you're a genuine refugee, refugee or not under this policy. And that's what I find so disgusting. So moving on, the government's rhetoric, their tagline, stop small boats, seems to forget that there are actually real people on these boats. It's completely inhumanitarian and it lacks any sense of compassion. And in my view, the bill simply won't work. And this view is mirrored by a lot of legal experts, including the European Court of Justice. And it won't make it through the Lords without significant amendments. And it won't be found lawful with the ECHR. And the government is now even considering leaving the European Convention on Human Rights, in order to to pass this bill legally, which you can have your views on, I have my views on, but we won't dig into them now. Furthermore, and now I'm reading from the Conservative Party's Twitter page here, if you enter the UK illegally, you will be denied access to the UK's modern slavery system. Now, in 2021, 91% of people who claim to be victims of modern slavery are found to be genuine. In 2022, there were positive conclusive grounds in, 19, in 97% of cases. So effectively, the Home Secretary has taken rights away from already vulnerable refugees and asylum seekers. And I think there are better ways, as I've outlined earlier, to express this sort of policy. Um, no way is perfect, uh, but this is a draconian expression of this policy. And when I was watching this in Parliament, I was nearly brought to tears. Um, the, the policy won't work. The rhetoric will in, will inevitably bring violence against vulnerable asylum seekers, refugees, and even BAME groups, like we've already seen. So, yeah, that's my that's my 
Franken, yeah. what's your view on it? Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people would certainly agree with you on that one. Um, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you in that. I, I think the rhetoric-wise, I, I don't think I need to repeat much of what you said. I mean, we're going to talk about some different things to do with sort of Suella ministerial code. Um, you've, <laughs> you've put Gary Neville in here. It's actually Gary Lineker, but <laughs> oh, is it okay? Uh, yeah, it's I'm Gary not a big fan. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about uh, Gary Lineker and some of his stuff. But I'm actually just going to go into the law of this because um, it's been outlined that this is illegal, this bill mm -hmm. uh, th that they're putting through. And the reason why it is illegal, or one of the reasons it's illegal, is because it goes against the UN uh, Refugee Convention, which we signed in 1951, mm -hmm. one of which says here, the, and I'm reading verbatim. The convention further stipulates that subject to specific exemptions, refugees should not be penalised for their illegal entry or stay. Mm. So, and, and this is the big point here, is that it's been brought up, you know, why are they being penalised? Why are they being sent back to either their own country or if not possible, Rwanda, which, by the way, has got a terrible track record for... Uh, sort of restricting rights, rights of women's human rights violations it's unsafe for lgbt we don't talk about the genocide anymore the, yeah the genocide you know there's, there's 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 so many issues uh now what the what the government is exploring is the little caveat here of subject to specific ex exemptions and i'm sure what the government you know have been doing and will be doing is saying oh well the big exemption is that we've got a big issue with uh trafficking gangs can I, can I quickly interrupt there? Because you've just reminded yeah. me of something. And I'm really sorry for interrupting. Yeah, but no, no, go ahead. One of their exemptions, if you want to... So you'll be detained for 28 days if you arrive illegally, and then you can mm. extend that detention time as well. One of their exceptions is that if you're under the age of 18, you can apply for an extension. Now, that effectively means that if children will be separated from their parents, already vulnerable children will be separated from their parents... Keep on going. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's a, it's, it's a good it's a good interjection. So that's that's kind of the legality, and also with regards to how this might progress. Obviously, you said that you know it will be voted through Parliament in in its way, or it will be voted through the Commons, then it will go to the Lords. Okay, if it somehow gets through the Lords, then it could technically be taken to the domestic courts. But the issue is, is that the Supreme Court will find it very difficult to, you know, make an appeal on this because it's primary legislation. So mm -hmm. the, that would mean that it would have to be taken in the ECHR. So I think, and this is just, I, I've, this is my suspicion. I think that this is a way to bring up the UK's involvement within the ECHR. I Absolutely. don't I don't think Suella Braverman thinks she's gonna get this through. But if it gets to the point where the ECHR block it, it's another thing in which they can sort of bring up latent Brexit feelings, they can bring up all the stuff that the uh ECG uh or ERG, sorry, um bring up. And I just feel like you're playing they're playing with fire, they're playing they're being overtly political. And it all stems, really, in my opinion, with Suella Braverman.
who mm-hmm. is under even more fire because you remember that she was uh, she under um, Liz Truss's government. God, that feels like a long time ago. Uh, was uh, was uh, resigned for breaking the ministerial code for you know interacting on uh, government official documents on her personal email. email in her private yeah. email. And uh, this time she could also be in breach of the uh, <laughs> of the ministerial code because she sent the Tory party members um, an email basically blaming the government, the civil service, the lefty civil service for <laughs> the reason why they've had to get to this point. She's basically said all the things we have tried haven't worked due to the lefty civil service, amongst other things like mm-hmm. the lefty lawyers, the lefty Labour Party. Yeah, I was going to mention the, yeah. the the very Supreme Court and High Court challenges. Yeah. The rhetoric and, on that has already started with the whole lefty lawyer stuff. And to be honest, I'm actually quite annoyed that there hasn't been as much stick into this yet. I know it's not as big as, you know, official government documents being sort of processed on your private email, because that's actually a threat mm. to national security. But I'm surprised this hasn't actually you know taken i yeah i there has been to an extent there has been to an extent and the claim was that suella braverman didn't see didn't see this email even though it was sent in her name and i thought that was absolutely maddening so i'm just going to read out some texts or some comments um from civil servants in a live event q a they're all anonymous Mm. and I'll just read out too. So the Home Sec yesterday publicly accused civil servants of blocking her previous plans to deal with small boats. Will the department stand up for its employees and seek a public withdrawal of that slanderous claim? And another one says, I have never been so embarrassed and ashamed to work for the department I love. I once mm. loved. Time to move on. And I'm going to read out a third one, even though that's not what I said, because it mentions exactly what you said, James. Article 14 of the UN Universal Declaration of Human Rights provides for the right to claim asylum. The UK voted for this. If the right is universal, can we turn it into a privilege, which is what this bill would appear to do? If we restrict, who can even claim? So there's a lot Mm. that the civil servants are really, really mad about. So, yes, they have... She has, to an extent, breached the Ministerial Code of Conduct. She's breached the civil service values the civil 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 service code of conduct she's I probably mean, breached the ECHR. i mean, I mean yeah. imagine imagine being part of the government and saying that the government are basically causing problems mm. <laughs> could be suella braverman um and one person who's been very critical is uh not gary neville Carter, but, uh, <laughs> gary Lineker. Um, yeah. who has always been a bit political and there's always been a bit of a degree of like, what's he being political for? He's post-match of the day. But he mm-hmm. came out basically um, comparing the rhetoric that the, the, the Tory government are pushing through to Nazi Germany. in mm-hmm. Or he said Germany in the 30s, so he didn't explicitly mm-hmm. say Nazis. Um, I think the tweet has since been uh, deleted, but obviously... It hasn't... Was it not? Because I, I knew that I knew that there was uh, some stuff, but it's it's what it has caused is a lot of backlash, and you know, Suella Braverman has said it's unhelpful. Some, and and of course, all the other 
uh, ministers are, are sort of coming in as well. Michelle Donnellan, the one that I saw was uh, Grant Schapp said, as a Jewish cabinet minister, I need no lessons about 1930s Germany from Gary Lineker. Like Gary, I'm hosting refugees in my own home, but unlike Gary, I do not believe it is right or moral to tolerate criminal gangs trafficking vulnerable people across the channel. To which Gary has come back and said, Please do not put words in my mouth. No, I do not think it is right nor moral to tolerate criminal gangs trafficking the vulnerable people. But by not giving them asylum, uh, by, by not giving the asylum seekers safe routes, you are exacerbating the problem. And the, what has happened is there's been a lot of talk by sort of the the Daily Mail's, the Telegraphs of of the world, saying or of the country, saying surely the BBC needs to potentially put. Uh, 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 Gary Lineker's job into question for breaking impartiality, a sports mm -hmm. commentator. Um, in my opinion, if he does get sacked for the BBC, he won't. He won't. But if he were to get sacked by the BBC, mm -hmm. I think it's pretty rich coming from a head of BBC. Can't remember his name, but fact check richard uh, i have richard, no idea <laughs> oh yeah richard sharp richard sharp, yeah. richard sharp richard, richard sharp richard sharp who pretty much bailed boris johnson out when he was uh having financial difficulties mm -hmm. so well apparently having financial difficulties but as we revealed earlier uh <laughs> maybe not as much as much as oh no he couldn't get the new bugatti um so <laughs> yeah uh it's I, 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 and I almost feel like probably, you know, if I was somehow an advisor to Gary Lineker, I would almost say, if you're very politically inclined, don't make the tweet because I think what will happen is Suella will use it to kind of shift the focus. And, and that's that's exactly what's happened. I was pretty pissed yeah. off with the BBC, not because they didn't sack Gary Lineker, but more so because last night at ten o'clock news. They were showing Gary Lineker stuff, not illegal migration bill stuff. Yeah. And what's the biggest story here? You know, potentially human rights law being breached or, you know, an ex-footballer and a match of the day presenter voicing his political opinion. What is the bigger deal here? I mean, you can I'm answer not, that in the comments. If I'm, you're not, I'm not doing it live. He tweeted it. He tweeted it. And as Tim Bale, former guest of the, our own podcast, said, like... Is this as big of a thing as it's being made out to be? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. But you know, it's it's one of those things. So I think it's our. Oh, I want to ask you. I want to ask you yeah. your genuine opinion. Do you think it's? Do you think he's right? Do you think it is nineteen thirties rhetoric? Nineteen thirties Germany rhetoric. I mean, it's so I, I it's so difficult. I've almost been reluctant to kind of to comment on this because I don't I know you have give it. I, I don't I don't want to even give it the time to be honest I in terms of and actually you did say this earlier mm -hmm. about the whole potential the the ex, only exemption being uh children under the age of 18 being split from their parents mm -hmm. I shall just leave it as that and you can I I wouldn't be surprised if they extend it to the children of the under 18, uh, the, the children the under parents, the age of 18 stuff yeah. as well. And um, uh, yeah, no, uh, I don't think it's controversial to say that. I think he's spot on. It's true. If you, yeah, if you the rhetoric, I'm not saying the policy yeah. itself is the same. I'm saying the rhetoric is the same. 
Yeah. And that's that's my opinion. Quickly, I want to touch on Robert Jenrick, because he did an interview with Krishnan Gurumuthi, and he's the immigration minister. Mm. And he basically said that, um, you know, the government or the UK has finite resources, not infinite resources, and it should prioritise those resources to those who he feels, or the government feels, has a geographical, moral, or historical obligation. Now, everyone knows that I'm really, really interested in imperial history. So, answering the comments, who do you think that Britain has a historical and moral obligation to? Because, at one point in history, the sun never set on the British Empire. Hmm. So, who do we have... A moral or historical obligation to and i would say a large proportion of the world um, so that's mm. my opinion i want to touch on the labor response as well because i think it's fair to say i was slightly disappointed with labor's response because i, w- I was keen that i think yvette cooper's statement on the day was very good um mm. but effectively what they're saying is you know this is a really, really draconian, horrible... They, they didn't say it was a draconian and horrible policy, actually. They basically said, is it actually going to work, though? And that was their attack line. And I wish they'd expanded it more to, this is draconian, this is bigoted, this is racist, we need to challenge it, it should be challenged in the courts, it should be challenged in the Lords, we will challenge it on the basis that it's really, really horrific, and it's going to separate families, it's going to cause lots of violence to BAME groups is going to cause uh, violence to already vulnerable refugees and asylum seekers. Why weren't we saying that in the House of Commons? Mm. And that was my perspective. But James, you're free to have one. Yeah, no. Um, And I I think it's probably because they know they're not going to get a terrible amount of luck in the House of Commons. And so right now it's up to the House of Lords. And I hope the House of Lords do, even though Labour are trying to get rid of it, um, but that's mm-hmm. a whole other ballpark. I hope the House of Lords uh, prove their place in the legislative uh, programme, not because I believe that, you know, the House of Lords needs to stay there, but more because I, you know, believe that we shouldn't have this uh, law in place. Uh, as, mm-hmm. as I put it this week, is it the illegal immigration bill or is it the illegal comma immigration bill? I think it's the latter. I think it's the latter. Karthik, this has been, uh, well, I say it's been wonderful. It's actually been quite a sort of sad note to end on because it is <laughs> sad that it's kind of politics is going in this way. But um, hopefully we'll take it to the polls next year. Um, Quickly, yeah. if you haven't already watched it, um, go and listen to Mahari Black's The F Word speech. I think it was her first speech in... Uh, the House of Commons and I think it's pertinent right now perfect go and have a look at that let us know (laughs) what you think as ever go on to TikTok at Politics on Draft uh, Instagram at Politics on Draft Twitter at Peace underscore on underscore Draft Uh, it's been lovely having you as always my name is James Tabor and my name is Kartik Sawney and we'll see you next week on Politics on Draft see you later Bye-bye.